Hey, welcome to episode number 229 of the podcast, More Than Bread. I'm Dan, a pastor, your host, and Bible reader, and I'm also a word worker, not a woodworker. I've always wanted to be that, but never been very good at it, but a word worker. I like that description of what what I'm doing and, and really what all of us, each and every one of us are called to do. I ran into the word from a devotional by Lee Eckloff, who was a pastor for 40 plus years, now retired. And he wrote this to some pastors. He wrote, my dear shepherds, perhaps with our noses pushed so hard upon the grindstone that we might lose sight of the gifts God gives us. For one thing, he has made us a word worker, one among the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip God's people for works of service. Sit back for a moment and think on this gift, he writes. Jesus schooled his disciples in the secrets of the kingdom by means of parables, those civics lessons coded as seeds and weeds, hidden treasure, and a priceless pearl. Have you understood all these things, Jesus asked? Yes, yes, they replied. He to them, therefore, every teacher of the law, says this in Matthew 13, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Therein, Lee writes, is one of God's great gifts to us word workers. We've been given a storeroom filled with great treasure. It's the word, but it's also the way in which the word has and is transforming our lives. It's our our understanding of God and his way of life. What, What we teach does not merely come from our study. We're more than prospectors digging into the golden vein of scripture Through new birth, our hearts, your heart, is becoming a treasure because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom, Jesus said in Matthew 13, 11, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom have been given to you. Now, when we study the Bible, tutored by the Holy Spirit, embedded by obedience, the black and white pages are spun to gold and hidden in our hearts. And listen to this, Eckloff writes, and and I agree with all my heart, This is true for all believers because we are all called to teach and admonish one another out of the message of Christ. That's from Colossians 3.16. We're going to get into that in these next few episodes. This is true for you, just as much as it is for me. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I'm the only word worker. You also are called to be a word worker. If you're listening to this podcast, it's at least in part because God has put in in your heart a desire to be a word worker worker, a word worker. And it's not just your learning, it's his spirit combined with your listening, learning, and leaning into every word that comes from the mouth of God. Because when God breathes scripture spoken through God's spirit-filled word workers, man, it gives such such life that, that dry bones not only rise and walk, they become a mighty army of grace. So we should come to the point of saying with John Wesley, oh, give me that book at any price. Give me the book of God. Oh, give me that book at any price. Give me the book of God. In this episode, we're listening to God's words found in Philippians 4. And I want to challenge you, encourage you to be a word worker of the book of Philippians. Be a joy giver, a joy builder. We're closing out the last chapter of Paul's letter to his friends in Philippi. I'm reading Philippians 4, verses 4 through 22 from the New International Version. Rejoice, Paul says. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. 
Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, the shalom of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And now, just let, let me pause for a moment and just say this. Th- these are not just pure and noble and right and lovely and admirable ideas. I believe Paul is saying, look for this in other people. Whatever is true in other people, whatever is noble in other people, whatever is right in other people, whatever is pure or lovely or admirable in other people, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, anything, even if it's just a little bit out of all of the other stuff, think about, put your minds on, consider these things. Verse 9, whatever you've learned or received from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at the last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good. It was good of you to share my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in this matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I've received full payment. I've got more than enough. I'm amply supplied. Now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they're fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me, send greetings. All God's people here, send your greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household, those new converts that I've had who belong to Caesar's household. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Now, in the last episode, we launched off of verses 6 and 7. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends, it's beyond all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And we said that in Philippians 4, God basically gives us his anxiety hack, how to deal with worry and anxiety and even fear, how to find peace in hard times, how to guard your heart in the midst of potentially anxious circumstances. And I said there are four levels of anxiety hacks, and the first was level one, pray about everything. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And I almost don't even have to pause here. I said that this one is normal. Sometimes even people who don't believe in God will pray when anxiety hits. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. That's number one. Pray first. And not just to throw your hands up to heaven, desperate whisper. Pray with faith. Remember God. Remember that he cares for you. Pray as though, because it's true, 
Pray as though he's deeply interested in your life and he wants to help. Remember 1 Peter 5, 7. I love these words. Cast all your cares upon him. Get rid of them. Throw them to Jesus. Put them on his shoulders for he cares for you. God is for us. Your best friend may have forgotten you. Your family may be ashamed of you. Your future may look bleak, but God is for you. I'm not trying to hype you up. I'm not even trying to help you up. I'm trying to hope you up. Which leads to the second level hack, practice gratitude. I want to camp here for a moment because I think it's the anxiety hack that we practice least. Gratitude is the forgotten life hack. A couple of weekends ago, Pastor Scott Letty was talking about a a survey, a research survey that was done that, that found that you cannot hold gratitude and anxiety together in the same body at the same time. And I just thought as he was sharing that, you know, I love it. When we spend all these millions of dollars to do all these deep research, all this deep research to find that the way the Bible says to live will actually bring us life. Gratitude is so critical, so powerful. Author Andrew Claven was raised in a non-practicing Jewish home for the first 45 years of his life. He described himself as a practical atheist, but then he met Jesus. He writes, Jesus never appeared to me while I lay drunk in the gutter, and yet looking back on my life, I see that Christ was beckoning to me at every turn. When I was a child, he was there in the kindness of a Christian babysitter. When I was contemplating suicide, he was in the voice of a Christian baseball player in a radio interview that inspired me to go on. And always, 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 he was in the day-to-day miracle of my marriage, a lifelong romance that slowly led me to contemplate contemplate the greater love that was its source. But most important for a writer, for a novelist, Christ came to Andrew in stories. And slowly he came to see that the story of Jesus, his life and words, his sacrifice and resurrection formed the hidden narrative behind every novel that had ever touched him deeply. He wrote, I was reading a story when that logic finally kicked in. I was in my 40s, lying in bed with one of Patrick O'Brien's great seafaring adventure novels. One of the characters whom I admired said a prayer before going to sleep. And I thought, well, if he can pray, so can I. He laid the book down and he whispered a three-word prayer in gratitude for the work and people he loved. His prayer was simply this, thank you, God. He called it a small, prideful prayer a self-impressed intellectual's experiment with faith. And God's response was an act of extravagant grace. Because the next morning when he woke up, everything had changed. There was a sudden clarity and brightness to familiar faces and objects that they were alive with meaning and delight. He called this experience the joy of my joy. And he said it came to him every time he prayed. And so he began to pray every day. And in those in, in, in time, those days of prayer led to his, his full surrender to Christ. And it's not just the mere attitude of gratitude that dispels anxiety. It's gratitude to God. A biblical scholar, William Barclay, once wrote, those who feed their hearts on the record of what God has done in the past will never worry about the future. Worry refuses to learn the lesson of life. We're still alive, and our heads are still above water. And yet if someone had told us that we would have to go through what we've actually gone through, we would have said that it was impossible. The lesson of life is that somehow we have been enabled to bear the unbearable and to do the undoable and to pass the breaking point and not break. In other words, because of God, 
All's well that ends well, and if all's not well, it's not the end. See, I think Paul, who, by the way, remember, is in prison at this moment, quite possibly facing death. I think Paul's saying, look around you, you guys. Have you seen what God loves doing? Trust him. Is your problem so much bigger than your God? How can you be so confident of the sweet by and by, but so afraid of the nasty now and then? And you see, in reality, what happens is that gratitude aligns my heart with God's reality. The Greek word for gratitude is a cousin of the Greek word for grace. Gratitude aligns our hearts with the reality of God's grace. Paul's asking us to become more aware of God's goodness than we are of life's problems. Brennan Manning once wrote, and I love this, he says, I believe that the real difference in the American church is not between conservatives and liberals, fundamentals and charismatics, not between Republicans and Democrats, but the real difference is between the aware and the unaware. (laughs) So how can I become more aware? Develop a gratitude list. List 10 things, 100 things, 500 things, 10 things every day for which you are grateful. And especially look for the events, circumstances, and people in your life that reflect the goodness and the greatness of God. And then come up with a new list tomorrow. I can't tell you what this simple discipline can do for your worry. You can take it a step further. If you go to our website, www.calvarysc.org slash new year, one word, new year, calvarysc.org slash new year, you'll find a a prayer, a prayer of examine, a worksheet. It's it's extensive and kind of intense, but it's a worksheet to look back over the last year to say, where are the places where I've seen God at work in my life? It's a great way to practice gratitude. Ask God where he wants you to join him in his work as you make your gratitude list. At Calvary, we believe that God is always at work around us. And when we see him at work, that's our invitation to join him. You see, saying yes to God today prepares your gratitude list for tomorrow. That's one reason why I love to get involved in stuff like our Myanmar mission or the 1% offering or our front yard mission work. When I say yes to God today, I get a front row seat to a display of his goodness and his greatness tomorrow which gives me something new from my gratitude list. When we say yes to God, at some point you will see God at work. And the next time you're going through a tough time, you'll have a reminder of his goodness. Real quickly, two more hack levels come from verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is noble or right, whatever is pure or lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen me, put it into practice. Do those things and the God of peace will be with you. Level three is I need to change my thinking. And you may need help in changing your thinking, a counseling or or somebody to pray with you, deep meditating on scripture, or maybe that that prayer of examine that I just told you about on our website. You need new paradigm shifts. This, This is longer term. Changing my thinking is longer term. Sometimes we get into some habits of thought, some narratives. We give our ears to some unhealthy voices that form a story, a narrative that drains hope and gives birth to anxiety. We need to change our thinking. We need to remember all that God has done and imagine all that God could do and think on great truths that lift up our souls and fill our minds with beauty. We we need to look for the good in other people. My mom used to call it the GIGO principle, G-I-G-O, garbage in, garbage out. Good stuff in, good stuff out. 
See, I think one reason why we are anxious is because we've given our ears to the wrong voices and our eyes to the wrong screens. And finally, level four of this anxiety hack is don't walk alone. Don't walk alone. So much of Philippians 4 is about walking with people. Go back and read the whole chapter. It's all about people. Yudia and Sintich and the, the rest of my co-workers, Paul says, and Epaphroditus and Clement, people that we work with and walk through difficult times with. We share our troubles and bear one another's burdens. We encourage and support one another. We don't walk alone. Don't walk alone. And even beyond the people, there are some amazing promises in Philippians 4 flowing from the reality that we walk this path with God. We're not alone. We're with Christ. We're in Christ, in fact. Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or, or in want. And what's the secret? I can do all this. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I don't walk alone. I walk beside the Almighty Christ who shares his resurrection power with me. And, and Paul says, it's not just for me, but verse 19 says, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. You don't walk alone. In the last episode, I shared a bit about Jared Wilson, who is a pastor at Harvest Church in California. Great church, healthy church. As someone who wrestled with anxiety and depression himself, he was an advocate for those suffering from mental health issues. One week, he led the memorial service of a woman in their church who had committed suicide, and, and then within a week, he did the same. Man, don't buy into the misconception that Christians are immune to mental illness, that wrestling with anxiety and depression is just for immature Christians who don't have enough faith. Too often we've written off mental health issues and we've turned our back on those in need. And I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying don't talk about it. I just want to say don't get used to it. Even though it's there and, and, and we, we should see that it's there and, and accept that it's there. I just, I just want to say don't get used to it. Don't accept it as a forever normal. Jesus will make all things new, but all, not always now. One of Jared Wilson's last social media posts included these words. He said, loving Jesus doesn't always cure suicidal thoughts. Loving Jesus doesn't always cure depression. Loving Jesus doesn't always cure PTSD. Loving Jesus doesn't always cure anxiety. Listen to this, he said. But that doesn't mean Jesus doesn't offer us companionship and comfort. He always does that. He always does that. And listen, he often does that through others. When Paul said, whatever you've seen in me or heard from me, do that, what he was saying is you're not alone. You're not. You're not alone. There are people out there who care, and Jesus will walk with you through them. You don't walk alone. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. With gratitude, set your mind on the good, the beautiful, the hopeful, and the true, and do not walk alone. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God, I pray that your peace would flow on each and every person listening. I pray that they would come to a point where they don't worry about anything, but they pray about everything with gratitude, and they set their minds on the good and the pure and the hopeful and the, the courageous in others and in the circumstances around them. And God, I pray that you'd bring to each one of them a friend, a person, somebody that they can walk with, somebody who will listen, who won't judge, who will offer comfort, who will offer prayer. And God, I, I, I pray that 
that through that person, they will know that they do not walk alone, that you walk beside them every step of the way. We thank you for all these things, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.